I cannot swear to you that there is swearing on this show, but there might be. It's the kind of behavior I engage in. It's Thursday, March 28th, 2019 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Let me tell you something. Cold brew is good. Don't let anybody shame you out of it. Or earbuds, or really good earbuds, and noise-canceling headphone. Also, cured meats, and decent bread. Non-store-bought, you know, I'm going to say artisanal bread. These are all things that hipsters are said to like, and, and they're good. I like them too. And I felt bad about liking these hipster things, but I said, damn it, I'm going to like what I like. I'm not going to wear a scarf with a t-shirt because that's stupid, but I am going to eat cured meat. And you know what else I was going to do? I was going to go to Iceland. And I did go to Iceland. And it was wonderful to go to Iceland. And I know that the hipsters are always going to Iceland and putting it on Instagram, but still, it's an amazing country. It's Iceland. And if you have to be like a hipster to do it, well, then be like a hipster. And for a long time, the way to do it was through an airline called Wow Air. You take Wow Air to Iceland, and it costs you like 400 bucks, and you land in Iceland, and you eat a hamburger, and that costs you like 400 bucks. The thing about Wow Air, as I was flying Wow Air, is it's the entire opposite of everything Icelandic. First of all, have you ever looked at the Icelandic language? Pretty long words. Most of them aren't palindromic. When you're on Wow Air, you're saying to yourself, I hope this is an astonishment that they made it aloft. Like every time they hit cruising altitude, the crew was like, wow, air, <laughs> who knew? I guess it's better than naming your airlines. I can't believe it's not grounded. There are a couple things. You could tell they didn't think out everything about Wow Air. For instance, if the plane went down, you know, inverted, took a nosedive, it would, well, I guess it would echo what most of the people would be saying on board. Mama, mom. Now Wow Air is no more. Luckily, it wasn't through tragedy. It seems just to be through underpricing. Because like I said, Iceland is the most expensive country in the world. It costs 20 bucks to have a beer. It costs 40 bucks to have a glass of wine. But Wow Air is the cheapest airline I've ever been on. I just do not understand the pairing of this airline at this price point to that place. And it's not like people wouldn't have paid 50, 100, $150 for flight, or as they call it in Iceland, an extra appetizer. But Wow Air is out of business. They stranded many passengers. They just couldn't cut it in the world of taking people to Iceland for way less than you should charge to take people to Iceland. I don't know the exact details. I just know they could have charged everyone $75 more. And to this day, everyone would be staying in all earnestness, Wow Air, without the expletive before it, as I'm sure is being voiced all throughout this country and some precincts near Reykjavik. How did Wow Air fail? How did Wow Air fail? All anyone wants to do is go to Iceland, and you screwed that up. Wow Air, just, just wow. On the show today, a good spiel, not by me, by Representative Adam Schiff, but also by me. I gotta say, I do offer a full breakdown of the goings-on in the House Intel Committee today. Huh? How's that for an inducement? But first, these last few days have been ones of reckoning for those who got Russiagate, as it's called, wrong. That's actually what 
Adam Schiff uh, was inspired to spiel about criticism of getting it wrong. Now, let's acknowledge we haven't even read the full Mueller report, but the last couple days have definitely been a time for defenders of Donald Trump to attack their critics. But it's not just defenders of Trump. It's also pretty far left journalists who were collusion skeptics. They're claiming, yup, we told you. Theirs is an argument that can't be summarily dismissed, even though I don't agree with it by and large. I personally was Mueller curious, but also Mueller cautious. I do think looking at the media's role in reporting on and stoking the investigation is important. It's a worthy discussion to have, and I wanted to have it with a good journalist who argues in good faith. So I found the writer who I think is the best exemplar of both of those qualities. Aaron Maté has been skeptical about the Mueller investigation for a long time, and he is here to lay out his case and to grapple with some pushback from me. This episode is brought to you by The Jordan Harbinger Show. You've heard me talk about The Jordan Harbinger Show because it's one of my favorites. He does in-depth interviews with some of the world's most fascinating minds. I can name a few. Barbara Boxer, Anderson Cooper, Michael McFall, the Ukraine or Russia ambassador talking about Ukraine. One I recently listened to was Stanley McChrystal, the general, the former general. And he told an interesting story about revering Robert E. Lee. But then, after having a portrait of him for 40 years, he's a 63-year-old man throwing it in the trash because his wife says, you know, what that picture and that man means to you, it doesn't mean to other people, and you have to understand that. And then in the interview, they got around to the point where McChrystal talked about that interview in Rolling Stone magazine that pretty much ended his career, where I got to the desk of Barack Obama, and it had McChrystal saying unflattering things about the war effort and just how he talked to his wife and how they decided not to be bitter and not to wallow in. He could have taken some shots at the process, the reporter or the president at that point, but he didn't. It was just an overall good interview. It was facilitated by Jordan's excellent interview style. Whether Jordan is conducting an interview or giving advice to a listener, you will find something useful that can apply to your own life in every single episode of The Jordan Harbinger Show. That could mean learning how to ask for advice the right way or discovering a little mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R, like the first three letters in hard, B-I-N-G-E, as in how you'll want to catch up on all the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. After the Russia indictments did not come down, after the bar letter of the Mueller report, I noticed an item in Axios where that tip sheet called out Glenn Greenwald for getting it right, and Greenwald said, there are many others on the left who did too get it right, the skepticism of Russiagate. And he named Aaron Maté of The Nation, Michael Tracy, Rolling Stone's Matt Taibbi, Max Blumenthal, and Rania Kalik. So what I did, I hadn't heard, I, I knew Taibbi and I've read some Michael Tracy. I hadn't heard of the rest of them. I looked them all up. I did a little survey and uh, Taibbi was Taibbi. You know, he writes well, but maybe without giving any quarter. Some of these others on the list, Greenwald himself, to my reading, really comes off more like propaganda. But I thought Aaron Matei made a good case. The way I put it is, 
Here was a person who looked at the evidence I did, was very skeptical there were going to be indictments, did turn out to be right, just in general had a different thesis than I do, but argued from a point of fact. So I wanted to have Aaron on. He writes for The Nation. He contributes to Al Jazeera English and Democracy Now! We're going to talk about how he saw the Russia investigation and how much he blames the media and Democrats for getting it wrong. Aaron, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. I can't co-sign your characterization of my uh, fellow skeptics, but I I, right. really, I really appreciate the opportunity. So thank you. Absolutely. And we, yeah, we don't have to debate Glenn Greenwald because once you try to do that, you never, ever emerge, I find. So <laughs> what we will do is first, I just want to give you a chance to lay the predicate, as it were, what is and was your thesis about how we were looking at the Mueller investigation? Well, I mean, part of my issue with this whole thing from the beginning is I thought that the predicate for this entire investigation in terms of the inciting incident that reportedly sparked it, and even the theory of the case itself just did not make sense. So it was firing Comey. No, well, well, the the initial Trump Russia investigation started even before the the firing of Comey. It started in July of two thousand sixteen. So you know, from the beginning, this the the idea that Trump, this reality TV show host, would have conspired with the Russian government, I just thought was farcical. And I didn't because see, the Russians are too smart for that. Not because the Russians are too smart for that. Because it's, it's an outlandish idea to me. And in and, and the actual theory of the case, how it would have gone about. What exactly they would have coordinated over in terms of is it they're going to all risk, you know, a, a giant, you know, historic scandal over the timing of releasing some emails. It didn't make sense. And, and the 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 then decision that we learned about that uh, behind opening up the initial investigation, this tip from George Papadopoulos, the Trump campaign volunteer, seemed to me also very flimsy. I want when you first said when this all started, I thought you meant the Comey firing because – Donald Trump fires Comey a week and a day later, the special prosecutor is appointed. So my question to you is, with everything that was swirling around concerning the firing of Comey, with Jeff Sessions recusing himself, a key member of the campaign and a cabinet official who gave false testimony about meeting with Russian ambassadors, about WikiLeaks actually having stolen Democratic emails, uh, and Donald Trump obviously being happy about that and saying so publicly, a Trump Tower meeting with Moscow lawyers, and even looking at that meeting with the most benign reading that Goldstone is just a publicist who is talking out of his ass. But that's my question to you. Comey is fired. There is this huge clamor. What do you think the best thing that should have been done, given that we live in a democracy, people are going to have questions, maybe politically motivated Democrats are going to want to churn the waters. You know, I would think it's better to have a special prosecutor to look at this to just get to today, which is he didn't find anything. But what do you think? You'd go with no special prosecutor? No, no, no. I'm with it. I, I've supported the Mueller probe from the beginning. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I'm just saying is that the because there were exactly, as you're right, there were so many questions, there was so much controversy. So why not have a special prosecutor? to get to the bottom of it. I'm just saying is that the the investigation Robert Mueller inherited, I think, is based on really spurious grounds. And, 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 and unfortunately, Trump is doing exactly what uh, I warned about and Glenn Greenwald warned about, which is that he's taking advantage of this gift. And I think that by putting so much focus on Mueller and trying so hard to prove this collusion theory true, we've we not only, I think, ignored the actual facts, which is a, a journalistic malpractice, but then we sidelined attention to all the real damage that Trump is doing by focusing on this effort to prove the conspiracy theory. 
We also ignored all the incredibly reckless decisions that Trump has made towards Russia that are actually escalating tensions with Russia because we were all because there was this prevailing drive to believe that Trump is doing Putin's bidding. When I think in, in reality, if you look at his policies, they're far more hawkish than Barack Obama's. You said that one of the consequences of putting all our eggs in the Mueller basket, if the media or the public or Democrats have done that, one of the consequences is we have not paid attention to other misdeeds. I totally disagree. I think that a lot of attention has been paid to Russia and there, and we could definitely point to excesses because it's 2019 and there are always going to be media excesses. But didn't MSNBC, and I know because I've talked about it on MSNBC a lot, maybe in between segments talking about Russia, <laughs> that it, didn't they do a lot talking about babies in cages? Didn't they do a lot talking about the first travel ban and the second travel ban? And not just MSNBC, uh, all of the media, every time Donald Trump tried to take away health care, I remember everyone waiting with bated breath for the scoring on how many people would lose their health care. And then it came out and the Democrats would always point to it and it would always get coverage. I just don't see a case where where because we've been concentrating on X, it's been to the exclusion of Y. I think we've been concentrating on all of this. Okay, let me say this. I think we are living under one of the most criminal administrations in history. Sure. Okay. They yeah, are, the wor- uh, I think it's the worst in my life by far. Okay, so they are uh, assaulting healthcare at home. They've overseen this huge upward transfer of wealth from lower income to the rich, especially via the tax cuts, that, that tax bill which they passed. Now, do, um, take uh, that. You don't think there's been – there was a ton of coverage about the tax bill? Let me you don't make, think MSNBC let me make the point. hundreds of times said you're just inventing this math out of whole cloth and held to account the people who would do that? Let me make the point up. Obviously, I'm not saying that they've ignored it, nor nor that they've people have not done solid coverage. Of course, they have. At home, the of course the war on immigrants, the, mm-hmm. the, the Muslim ban, abroad, the support for the genocidal war on Yemen, the attempt to overthrow a government in Venezuela, pulling out of the Paris Climate Accords, basically threatening the world with extinction as a result of that. Yeah, pulling, pulling out of the Iran nuclear deal. And uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting uh, trying to overthrow basically the government of Iran, supporting the murderous uh, occupation of Palestinian territories by Israel. I could go on and on and on. And when I look back on these last two two plus years, I can think of twice when uh, another issue knocked out Russiagate from the uh, headlines and from our attention for a sustained period of time. There was the Kavanaugh hearings. Uh Okay. And yes, there was the the barbaric treatment of immigrant families. I would say there are a lot more than that. I think the Charlottesville— For a sustained period for a sustained period of time. I think the Charlottesville time. rally absolutely uh, sustained coverage for a long amount of time. We just saw even the Republicans in the Senate passing a resolution trying to stop the war in Yemen. So that's an example of the media not— Ignoring no. it in favor of something else, the media. I'm not going to congratulate a lot of I'm not a gonna, lot of attention. I'm not going to congratulate the media for after ignoring a, a basically like a genocide for 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 two years to finally pay attention to it after the genocide predated Donald Trump. That is they true. They weren't covering the, the, it. Then. That is certainly true. The media <laughs> does. Did the media cover the war in Congo, which had 10 million casualties? The this difference is, this is, is the American media. The, the baseline the, is not no, the perfect the, media. The baseline needs to be, I think, to be consistent. What would the media have covered if it wasn't covered? Russiagate, and I think it would have covered a lot of the issues you're talking about because it did and wouldn't have covered a lot of the issues as you described the murderous occupation in Palestine because the media, by and large, doesn't agree okay, you with know what? that I assessment. Will concede, I will concede the point that I cannot blame Russiagate uh-huh. for the media not covering Yemen. I think that's fair. We haven't actually addressed the real issue, which is why did 
the Democratic Party lose to reality TV show host Donald J. Trump. And if you want to blame uh, Russia for that, I yeah. think you're looking in the wrong place. I 100% no matter, agree with you. And, if, and we both agree that Russia did meddle, fiddle with the election, right? Here's what we agree. Listen, yeah. I, uh, I mean, look, even if Russia did do everything it's accused of, mm-hmm. I don't think it's worth the – this whole thing about the Russian social media ads – it's a joke. We're, we're, we're really embarrassing ourselves. Putting aside the fact all the things we do around the world, like trying to overthrow a government in Venezuela by trying to suffocate it with well, well, step back a few levels. Just trying to influence elections to, to compare apples to apples. That is something we, we also we try do, to do. Including yeah. in Russia, where sure. you know, where 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 Clinton basically rescued Boris Yeltsin from from being from being ousted uh, uh, by 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 sending U.S. Right. campaign advisors and securing billions of dollars worth of loans. And it's interesting in the Senate report. The main center report that came out a few months ago on the Russian social media ads, uh, there's a section about asset recruitment, how the Russian social media operation used its, its, its post uh, towards possibly recruiting assets. It's top example. I'm not kidding. And I'll post a link to this on Twitter after this interview comes out. Is You see an image of Jesus. He's consoling a sort of a despondent young man. And Jesus says to him something like, are you having trouble? Are you, are you, having, tr- are you having problems with masturbation? Reach out and we'll beat it together. And it's an ad for this fake masturbation help hotline that the uh-huh. Russians did, okay? That was the uh, official Senate report. That's their top example of Russians trying to recruit assets in the U.S. And that we're supposed to believe is a threat akin to Pearl Harbor, 9-11, and is influencing vulnerable Americans. On top of being – just showing how ridiculous it is, it presumes such contempt – for average Americans, that we're, we're supposed to accept this notion that we're so vulnerable yeah. that we could be influenced by garbage like this. That I, and so, that and, I buy a little bit okay. because I've seen what Americans are influenced by. And I, uh, I, I don't have that kind of contempt for average Americans. And oh, I it doesn't th- have to be average Americans. It just has for to be anybody, you know, 20,000 people in a who, swing who state. I have, who I have is, is contempt for the politicians. But I mean, if who, that were true, then Alex and, Jones would not be popular. If some average Americans don't believe nonsense, I don't then believe. That, then I don't he believe. Wouldn't exist. I, I don't believe that these stupid ads that nobody saw that were really small in reach that that were barely any money was spent on. Most of the money in, on Russian Facebook ads was spent after the election. It's basically it's a clickbait firm in Russia, <laughs> and, and yes, they, their employees might have favored Donald Trump. I mean, who cares? It, it's 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 insane that there's been so much focus on this, and it serves a purpose. Again, it helps Democratic failed neoliberal Democratic elites deflect attention from the fact that they lost to Donald Trump. So Hillary Clinton even said, I, I recall her asking, this was this blew my mind. She said, the real question is, how did the Russians know? How are they so sophisticated to know to target their ads to voters in Wisconsin and Michigan? Yeah. Okay? So (laughs) she's basically saying that how did the Russians know to target these Know what a swing state was. Yeah. Yeah. How how could the Russians possibly know what a swing state is? Exactly. Anyway, it's it's about what kind of media and politics we want to have. And and I think Russiagate, to me, was was an outgrowth of a media and politics that shaped not by the interests of the common good, of the people, but by the narrow interests of self-serving elites on the Democratic side, in the media. The media, by the way, who gave Donald Trump billions of dollars worth of free airtime in the election, probably did more for Donald Trump than any stolen emails did. So all this is a way for them to avoid reckoning with their own failure and to maintain themselves in a position that protects their own privilege because if Democrats had really learned the lessons from 2016, 
where Donald Trump conned enough people in enough states to believe he was a working class champion, that he was going to drain the swamp, then Democrats would have started taking on the corporate interests that they represent. But they, an inability to do that, I think, reflects their shift to Russiagate because it gave them the, per- the perfect boogeyman to focus on and to blame. I think what kind of media do we want? I don't know. Let's not make the perfect the enemy of the good or even the acceptable. I can see there was a number of uh, excesses on the part of the media. We we haven't even said Rachel Maddow, but yeah, you can point to, and I've seen clips strung together of people on her show and her saying things that didn't bear fruit. It, on- no, but that just didn't, was insane. Maddow, Maddow pushed the most, Maddow became basically Alex Jones. I'm sorry to say this because I used to be such a big fan of hers. I even applied to work at her show a long time ago. I was, I was such a big fan because she's so talented and actually brilliant. But she descended into... Um, unhinged territory. She talked about w- wondering if Donald Trump was going to pull troops from Europe because Vladimir Putin had a P-tape. Uh, w- wondering if, if... Well, he did He did say a bunch of things that if I were a NATO ally, not because of P-tape or anything, just stuff he said threatening the NATO alliance would have made me... But this is what I'm saying. Would have given me pause. But, okay, fine. If I was an Estonian, right. I wouldn't care about the P-tape. I'd be worried. But but, but, but that also requires ignoring Trump's actual policies because his actual policies have... I think also... Trump ignores his policies. Well, maybe, <laughs> but, the, but, but it's, the point is... If we're going to talk about Trump and NATO, we have to look at then what he actually – to me, it's much more important what he might say on Twitter or in a press conference than what he's actually doing. And on the ground, Trump has escalated the U.S. troop presence on Russia's borders. Uh, Trump bullied NATO members into spending more on on military spending. Trump sent lethal arms to Ukraine, a move that Barack Obama resisted despite a lot of pressure from the people around him because Obama said he didn't want to further inflame the proxy conflict there between the U.S. and Russia. I think Obama was totally right. And and Trump, meanwhile, did it. But we ignored all that. Uh, Trump tore up the INF Treaty. And that was basically set off a new nuclear arms race, another reason. Reason why he's threatening us but with we, virtual extension, but we ignore that. Well, we didn't ignore it. We we down. We, I did a research on that exact topic, the INF treaty, and on the day that they got out, there were twenty-two segments on MSNBC about it. No way. There no. are twenty-two. <laughs> if you look up, sorry, on the day, on the day it happened, there were a dozen segments. And if you look up INF on okay. MSNBC in the last couple of years during the Trump administration, there's been twenty-two segments. I would bet anything, though, that the vast majority if not 100% of the guys who talked about it, spoke about it as a gift to Vladimir Putin. Mm. If we were serious about trying to uh, beat Trump, we would not be looking to 2016 to come up with things to excuse the fact that Democrats lost or to look at these, I think, relatively marginal issues like his inauguration. Mm-hmm. Or you know, We'd be looking at what did we do? How did we lose to him? What convinced enough voters to vote for Donald Trump or enough voters to stay home and not vote for anybody. Look, I don't and what think can it's we, either. What can we do to win? The, what can we do to win them over? But but the thing is, it's but the thing is, it has become mutually exclusive because that you anticipated my question. I don't think it's either or. But I think the thing is, both. it has been because because look at what happened. There's been no self reflection at all, or I shouldn't say none. There's been very little self reflection, very little reckoning for the failures of 2016 and the neoliberal e- economic legacy of you know Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, and which Hillary Clinton also represented and. Unless there's a reckoning with that, I don't see how we're going to – the liberal side will win over enough people to beat Trump, especially now with the wind at his back with this, exo- with this vindication. Aaron Maté is a contributing editor for The Nation magazine there. He writes such articles or wrote such articles a couple weeks before the Mueller report came out as a skeptic's guide to the Russiagate fixation. Thanks so much for coming in. I thought this was good. Mike, thank you very much.
And now the spiel. Today, Congress heard experts testifying about Russian interference tactics in U.S. elections. This was a committee session where the chairman of the committee, Representative Adam Schiff, was asked to step down by every Republican member on the committee because, according to them, he got the Russia-Trump collusion story wrong, and now he's got to go. Now, the committee, this was part of the House Intelligence Committee, I will soon demonstrate that it was, if anything, a dialogue of the deaf. So this hearing didn't have much hearing. Much of it was insulting to our intelligence. How's that for the House Intelligence Committee? Up first was Representative from Texas, Mike Conaway, to say, we reject thee, we reject thee, we reject thee, Mr. Chairman. He read from a prepared letter signed by the eight other Republicans on the committee and himself. You've been at the center of a well-orchestrated media campaign claiming, among other things, the Trump campaign colluded with the Russian government. Indeed, before the appointment of Robert Mueller's special counsel, you alleged during one of your frequent television interviews that there was, quote, more than circumstantial evidence, quote, of collusion, but that you could, quote, not go into the particulars. Conaway went on to make the case that Schiff whiffed when it came to saying that there was evidence of collusion. Because, this was Conaway's case, since the Mueller report found no evidence of collusion, there was no collusion. And then Conaway made another really solid point. Or maybe he didn't, because what happened was an iPad that he had brought with him to the committee hearing started playing a segment from, I think it was Entertainment Tonight. Special counsel delivered his findings to the government. To the, um... Yeah, Kind of steps on the moment a little bit when that happens. Of course, Mike Conaway is the representative who once told the Dallas Morning News, if we're worried about foreign influence in the 2016 election, let's have the whole story. He defined the whole story as this. I'll read a quote. Quote, this is Conaway talking. Harry Reid and the Democrats brought in Mexican soap opera stars, singers, and entertainers who had immense influence in those communities into Las Vegas to entertain, get out the vote, and so forth. Those are foreign actors, literally, I guess, in the case of soap opera stars, foreign people influencing the vote in Nevada. You don't hear the Democrats screaming and saying one word about that. All right. The case against Schiff from Conway's mouth was similarly charged. And what it added up to was this. Mr. Chairman, you got it wrong. Mueller proves you got it wrong. And now you must go away. So Adam Schiff regarded that argument as, oh, I'll say fodder. Because he let loose with a denunciation of the denunciation that relied on enunciation and also the theme and motif technique. See if you can pick up on it. No, instead that son said that he would love the help of the Russians. You might think it's okay that he took that meeting. You might think it's okay that Paul Manafort, the campaign chair, someone with great experience in running campaigns, also took that meeting. You might think it's okay that the president's son-in-law also took that meeting. You might think it's okay that they concealed it from the public. You might think it's okay that their only disappointment after that meeting was that the dirt they received on Hillary Clinton wasn't better. You might think that's okay. Well, you might think it's foolish, this chancy rendezvous. You might think Adam Schiff is crazy, but all he wants is you to know that he doesn't think it's okay. I listen to Schiff's whole speech two or three times. It was okay. I don't think that's okay. You know, 
He's right. It was pretty strong. And I know about spiels. So afterwards, the Republicans asked for time to respond. I don't think that's okay. He did indeed deny them time to respond. And this set up kind of an odd dynamic. So over the course of the hearings, it took about three hours, certain Republicans who seemed interested in getting to details of the Russian interference in the campaign would use their first few minutes, which should have gone to questions, to object to the you must think it's okay speech. And a common theme of the Republican objection was that it was unfair for Adam Schiff to get in a debate with them because Adam Schiff is just too good at debating. Here's Mike Conaway about an hour after he read his letter out loud. Nothing in our letter could be interpreted or remotely interpreted as causing you to be able to accuse us of thinking it's okay for that long litany of prepared remarks that you read into the record that you said you were not okay with, uh, and then to apply with your the technique that you're very good at. Talking, communicating. I think it's communicating effectively that is the technique that Conaway is talking about. Next, Republican Mike Turner of Ohio furthered the thesis that Adam Schiff has communicative advantages over Turner's fellow Republicans. Now, Mr. Chairman, when this body understood that McCarthyism was something to be rejected, it for years watched it. But you're, you are using that playbook. With McCarthyism, we had Russia chasing, chasing after Russian communists, and, and now we have Schiff chasing after Russian collusion, collusion and those who would collude. The Russian collusions? What? What is he saying there? His overall point, I'll try to help him out, was that McCarthy was bad because Joseph McCarthy told other people what those people were thinking, I guess by saying you're a communist, whether you admit it or not. And Adam Schiff is engaged in McCarthyism because he told the Republicans on the committee what those Republicans were thinking, i.e. they must have all been thinking that colluding with the Russians was okay. Now, to be fair to the Republicans, I think they would say, likely in fumfering fashion, I think they would say something like, we don't think any of that's okay, We just think, indeed, now with the Mueller report, we know, this is them talking, we know that none of that amounted to collusion, or maybe in their words, after much testimony and a break in the proceedings to go vote in the main chamber, and then actual testimony from actual experts, Uh, Mike McFaul was there, he's Obama's Russia ambassador, that guy's always good, Republican Chris Stewart of Utah took time to rebut the chairman's, you might think that's okay, speech of two hours prior. And then Adam Schiff answered him, and he wasn't, he wasn't blazing mad. He didn't make a speech. He kind of talked to him. And I think that he made a pretty good point. So I'm going to play Adam Schiff uh, explaining to Chris Stewart, and I guess by extension the other Republicans or critics at large, explaining to him why he frequently said that there was evidence of collusion. We'll let it play long, and then you'll hear Chris Stewart of Utah in there also. Okay, here we go. And I think that these interactions with the Russians that I enumerated earlier are evidence of corruption. Uh, they're evidence of collusion, rather. But that whether that amounts to proof beyond reasonable doubt of a crime, the crime of conspiracy, I've always said is a different question that Bob Mueller would have to decide. And he's decided that question. And I respect it. And I said that I would respect his judgment. But that's what I've said. And I, and I think that the letter uh, fundamentally misconceives that. Um, Mr. Heck. Well, would the, would the chairman allow me to respond? Yes. And I'll do so just quickly. We're going to have to agree to disagree on the Burbage. 
And, and I think we're, you're making a distinction without a difference in the sense that you have never, and to, my, to my knowledge, added that caveat. You have said, I see evidence of collusion. You didn't add, add it, that would reach a legal threshold. Well, he did. He just did. And if Representative Stewart were a just listener, he'd know that because two days ago, I responded to the Trump re-election campaign charge that Schiff erroneously would go out there claiming there was evidence. I, what I did was I looked to the original interview that the Trump re-election campaign cited as Schiff being inaccurate, and we played it on the show. And I'm going to do that again here. So you can hear for yourself that Schiff would always say, and this was indicative, like he said, of most of his media appearances, he would always say, I see collusion, though that is a different question than reaching a legal threshold. Here's Adam Schiff on Face the Nation a few months ago. Can you agree that there has been no evidence of collusion coordination or conspiracy that has been presented thus far between the Trump campaign and Russia? Uh, no, I don't agree with that at all. I think there's plenty of evidence of collusion or conspiracy in plain sight. Now, that's a, a different statement than saying that there's proof beyond a reasonable doubt of a criminal conspiracy. I guess Congress can't, like I did, go right to the audio tape. But they did do something really close. Immediately after Chris Stewart said, I never heard you say that there's a different legal threshold for proving collusion, immediately Representative Eric Swalwell pulled out a PolitiFact report. And that PolitiFact report pointed out that Schiff continuously contextualized claims by saying evidence is different from establishing something beyond a reasonable doubt. And Schiff would always say, let's see what the prosecutor finds. So this, a charge, a countercharge, an answer. I never heard you do that. The PolitiFact report. I guess what it could have added up to was a moment when the accuser, in this case, Stewart, said something like, well, if that's true, uh, I'll admit I didn't know that. And at the very least, say something like, I'll study that. I might revise my previous charge. It doesn't have to do anything in the moment. But, you know, say something like, if that's the case, I'll take it under advisement. Is that what happened? It is not. Here is what happened. Representative Rick Crawford, Republican of Arkansas, spoke up. Point of order, are we introducing PolitiFact information into this testament hearing? Yes. Yes, Mr. Crawford, I am. Uh, without objection. Uh, I have I object to that. Yes, the objection to fact was entered into the record and the objection to fact was overruled uh, that the nine Republicans on the House Intelligence Committee would so object to PolitiFact given that it does put the political before the fact. And that's it for today's show. Pierre Biennium and Daniel Schrader produced the gist. Today they got into a debate about Justin Bieber albums and then focused on the serious issue of discussing Chelsea Handler's skin regimen. They think that's okay. I don't think that's okay. You're right. And TJ Raphael, senior producer of Slate Podcast, she thinks it's okay to have a standing desk that's actually a sitting desk like 93% of the time. But I don't think it's okay. Nah, come on, it's fine. Standing desks are mostly bullshit. Anyway, the gist. We're playing all the greatest hits from Kesha. That one was TikTok. You spell it T-I-K-T. What comes next? Okay. Oh, it is, Congressman. It is. Hey, do you subscribe to the GIST newsletter? It'll come to your inbox on Saturday. Let it sit there if you are an observant Jew. I'm not going to tell you how to live your life. But to subscribe, go to slate.com slash GIST news. We summarize what we talk about. Also, we give a trivia question. Here's this week's trivia question. And it relates to a person 
that we talked about on the show. It's a little long. I'm going to list seven historical facts, and you tell me how these facts together relate to a person discussed on the show. Here are the things that happened. One, Columbus discovered America. I don't even know if that's a fact, but let's call it a fact. Jamestown, Battle of New York, creation of the Constitution, Gettysburg, specifically Lincoln praying for victory at Gettysburg, Battle of Midway, Reagan not dying after being shot. Take those seven together, related to a person mentioned on the show, and tell me what the hell is going on. Slate.com slash Just News. Oom Peru, Peru, and thanks for listening.